It's Monday, January 18th. We're back with the first podcast of 2021. I have a new puppy. Scott has a new hairdo. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia, voted Richmond's second best podcast two years in a row. My name is Scott Wise, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. And today, we are joined by Mr. Positivity, Evan Campbell. We are, and man, what a fun interview he is. He is super positive. I love it, especially right now that we have major positivity to share with everybody today. Don't you? I love it. Happy New Year, by the way. I have not seen you in 2021. You're looking great over my Zoom. Thanks. Yeah, this hair is all over the place. So guys, when you listen to this interview, Scott tends to tell me this and I don't listen to him. Surprise. Um, I wear a different set of headphones. He gave me a microphone for Christmas, but I haven't set it up yet because I'm that person. And you can hear my hair rushing up against the microphone. Speaking of hair, Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. The third podcast host, Scott's hairdo. How is it hair? Let me see. It's still behind a hat. All right, I'll take I'll take it off. Let's see it. Oh man. Yeah. High school girls everywhere jealous of this body. It's Let's so hope not. <laughs> oh, of the hair, you mean? Gotcha. Yeah, the hair. The hair. Oof, that was a little awkward for a moment. And this this beard is looking good too. You got a little gray on the sides. I like it. Moving right along from the gray, I don't want to talk about that. Um, so earlier. We took last podcast session off to kind of regroup and re-energize and kind of jump into the new year refreshed. And one of the things that you and I talked about was trying to find guests who are super positive. And you put a question out on social media asking for super positive people. And we found a whole bunch. I mean, I would say that a lot of people we've interviewed over the years have been super positive. We're being intentional about it this time. Yes, we are. Why don't you tell the folks who we interviewed uh, for this show? We have Evan Campbell, who is the executive chef over at the Stables, now also at the Franklin Inn. And he has some new news of a new spot, which you'll hear about when we chat with him, along with just a little bit of his background um, and maybe some New Orleans chat. But first, I want to talk about the new addition to your family. Yeah, we got a new dog, actually, who's currently eating leaves right now, right in front of me. Um, so a, f- a food expert, obviously, just, yes, just like mama. Loves the um, roughage. So you have a dog. We do. We have Ruby. And you have multiple cats? Two. A cat? Two. That's multiple. Two. So let's, let's talk about this decision to, uh, to enter a new family member into the fold. Well, so Ryan, who most people know if you listen to this, is my other half. And he has, for about three years now, said that we need to get Ruby, who is our current dog, another playmate. I say that we have enough animals. And we do have enough animals. Did you lose this argument? Wait a second. This is blowing my mind right now. He says that I don't have the biggest heart he does <laughs> enough love to give wow I, I know he's he's a good one how's couples therapy going <laughs> yeah it's, it's a it's it's i suggest it to everyone because yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, so i said my heart has grown three sizes um and the size of the dog is an almost 20 pound 12 weeker 
and her name, because we have Ruby, her name is Tawny. So now we have all the port wines except for white and rosé covered in this house. I want to get to the interview with Evan in a second, but I want to tease a little conversation we're going to have after Evan. We're going to talk about cheese. All right. Well, I'm mad I didn't ask Evan about cheese. Here is Evan from the Stables Franklin Inn and soon to be at Wooden So today, okay, so I'm kind of stoked about this. We are with Evan Campbell. And Evan, let's see. Right now, you are the executive chef of The Stables. Yes. And now we'll get into what, all the other things you're doing, but most most recently, you're in probably what, the last four years, maybe? Three years you've been well, the executive chef? Almost. It'll, be, it'll be four years uh, this summer. Okay, and it was Zeus Gallery Cafe before it was the yeah, state. From 1991 until 2015, 16, I think. And they did, when you took it over, they did quite a bit of, I mean, it was just a big overhaul. Would you say that that's what occurred? Yeah, I mean, when we, uh, Steve Gooch and myself, took control of the restaurant, uh, we took over the rights to Zeus Gallery, so we kind of had the option to continue uh, their food program, but we decided to go a different direction. Um, so we did, uh, I wouldn't say like full construction, but we did an overhaul of the floors and the woodwork and the bar. Um, I had never dined at Zeus because that was prior to me moving here, but um, it was checkered tables and carpeted floors. So we kind of just opened up the space and um, created something new. Yeah, those tables in Zeus looked like bathroom floors. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. I love, I love the kitsch. I'm here for it, but you know. What did you do before you moved to Richmond? Like, where were you? Tell us about your life. So uh, prior to being in Richmond, I was in Boston, Massachusetts for quite some time. Um, I actually kickstarted my career in Boston. I've worked in restaurants forever, um, but I did my technical training at Cordon Bleu in Boston and worked at a bunch of places. And some dum-dum who is hindsight, not a dum-dum, but he trusted a 25-year-old opening a restaurant. So I was able to open a restaurant very young um, and inexperienced, and um, it did really well. So I opened uh, I opened two restaurants up there, and I worked at a couple of places and did consulting and all that prior to moving down here. I was reading an article, I think it was a Richard Magazine, that you worked in New Orleans as well. Yes and no. But when, when you graduate culinary school, you're required to do an externship for a year where you, you have a chef that oversees your continued learning. So I actually, I got a solid tax return. And after I completed my Boston externship, I took the entirety of my tax return. And I said, I want to learn food somewhere else. So I went down to New Orleans and I stayed with a friend um, for as long as the money held out. And I just, I worked in as many places as I could, staging largely, but I got to eat all over New Orleans and cook at a lot of cool spots. And um, I, I, I have recipes that to this day, I, mean, the, I have a shrimp and grits in the menu with a gumbo gravy. That gumbo recipe was, was from a chef down in New Orleans. Um, it definitely, that's where I fell in love with food. I mean, I went to culinary school thinking like, oh, I'd like to start learning stuff again. It wasn't, oh, I want to be a chef when I grow up. Um, but when I was down in New Orleans and I saw the joy of the food culture down there and how people just take their time with, with going through meals and 
you know, you can walk around with drinks, which is awesome. But <laughs> I mean, I remember my, my, the girlfriend that I was staying with down there, she, she works as a lawyer and I was working in the industry. And in the middle of the day, we would meet for cocktails and lunch. She would leave the courthouse. I would, you know, meet her. And that's not something that I was ever used to growing up in somewhere like Virginia, where, you know, you, you eat lunch at your desk or, you know, if you can pop out on weekends, that's great. And I thought, wow, food is cool. And I think I want to do this. Um, <laughs> as long as I can. So, um, and, and now I'm still here cooking. So, <laughs> and now I'm still in Richmond doing my thing. <laughs> and I'm still in Richmond. It was supposed to be temporary. I was supposed to be here for about a year. Well, it, it's funny. So I, I'm from Virginia, born and raised uh, up in Woodbridge. So the entire time I was in Boston, everyone's like, oh, it's the chef from the South. And since being back here, it's, oh, the chef from Boston. I just, I have no culture. <laughs> That's not true. I actually really love your kind of mishmash. When we had you, Evan, poor guy, um, I used to do the stage at Brought Up a Teat, and they had we put chefs against each other in this like weird. Would you call it a chopped competition? Like, what did we do to you guys? Chopped style for sure. And I texted him and was like, not only are you going to have to cook, but you're also going to have to talk. And he was like, oh, gosh, everybody thinks I sound so northern. They loved him. They loved him. It was great. <laughs> it was really, really great. So from the Cordon Bleu to a couple of restaurants when you were young, what did you learn as a young chef? Was it hard? Um, yeah. I mean, kitchens are, are difficult. And I think that you can work as hard as you possibly can in certain areas it's a it's a weird career field because you're expected to have longevity in any career and any job that you're at people hate seeing when you jump around but also you know you have to continue learning and from from different people otherwise like your styles and techniques stay stale so it's almost like people want to hire you you know to learn new things but they also want to try to hold on to you so i didn't do a ton of jumping around but whenever i worked anywhere i would always stage um, one or two days a week with with chefs around town just to keep learning. And I still, to this day, take opportunities whenever I can to work with other chefs because you always learn fun new things. Can we get rid of the stage? For people that don't know, it's essentially chefs have to go work with other chefs and they don't get paid. Correct. So and I'll tell you what, funny story too. There is, I won't mention names because it is one of the top rated Michelin star restaurants in Boston. And I stodged there and it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. And afterwards, generally they'll say like, oh, you know, we love what you do. Um, we'd love to offer you a job or, or we just, we don't have anything right now, you know. But what they said to me was, you're, you're great. You've got a good attitude, but because you're inexperienced, we would need you to stodge for at least 16 weeks. <laughs> and living in Boston, you can't work for no money. It's just not feasible in any city, but in particular in Boston. So I had to turn that down, unfortunately. So they're like, hey, we're not going to pay you. We're going to get a culinary graduate and you need to be here for four months. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because the day I saw the chef is known for being hot headed and they had a particularly busy night. And I was just supposed to, I helped them with prep, you know, then they, they let you do picking herbs and stuff that you can't really mess up, you know, when they don't know your skill level. But they got so weeded that they just threw me on Garmanger. And I hadn't seen any of these dishes more than once or twice, maybe. And I sent out a tartare with a quail egg that apparently had a little bit of white on it. 
And the chef came back through the plate, screamed, who did this? Oh, you know, da, da, da. And I raised my hand and he's screaming at me. And I'm thinking, I don't even work here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what do you need me to do? By the way, if, if you're not familiar with that, it's all cold dishes, right? That side yeah, of yeah, the okay. yeah, cabinet chef is like the, the, the translation really. So it's anything that kind of comes out cold. I do have a question about Boston. Can you compare and contrast the Boston diner to the Richmond diner for us? It's, yes, I prefer the Richmond restaurant scene over Boston. You uh, have to say that, you're here now. I don't, I don't. <laughs> uh, it's, there's a transience in any big city that you work in where you might have a handful of regulars that you see a few times a month or even a few times a year but you're turning out food for different people every single day. I mean, I, my, my restaurant, the Trophy Room, which unfortunately just closed recently um, in the midst of this mess, um, we were attached to a boutique hotel and, and being in downtown in, in the south end of Boston, like it, it, you, you have the opportunity to wow somebody, but it's not, you don't have the kind of return where you get to, uh, you get to, to continue to, to see familiar faces and turn out product to kind of keep people interested. So it's, it's fun for me. It feels more familial in Richmond because you get to have folks that, that love your food or love your space and continue coming back while also having new diners and people traveling through, but not to the degree uh, uh, that, that obviously in a big city like Boston is, is you know, would be the case. So. Do you think your location of the stables is conducive to having a lot of regulars? Like, I feel like where Absolutely. it is... You do, yes. Yeah. I was when I moved here. I was intimidated uh, when Steve asked if I was interested in opening a restaurant. Um, looking at the space, being from a city, I'm like, this is in the middle of a neighborhood. Like this, there's there's very little foot traffic. And to this day, it's funny, like being three and a half years in and, and having like solid reviews across all the sites. Like it's a running joke amongst the staff when people are like, oh, it's it's a hidden gem in Richmond, and I'm like, can I just be a gem now? Like, <laughs> Um, but, but we do, I mean, when, when we opened the stables, the idea was that because we're in the heart of the museum district, we, we wanted to grow organically. We didn't do much in the way of advertising, um, through any kind of, of major media outlets, because we knew that in any direction, we've got eight blocks that way, 12 blocks that way, four blocks that way. And if we could just get the word out in the neighborhood and we produced good product, the word would kind of get out on its own. And, and we're lucky to have folks who... I mean, continue to come back that have been with us since day one, which which is which is really nice to see, and it's it's truly heartwarming for me. What do so you why did you go ahead? Sorry, Scott. I was going to ask, what are you serving these days that is bringing people back day after day? There's two dishes that I'm pretty sure if I took them off my menu, I would be beheaded. I do four to five menus a year seasonally, um, but my lamb lollipops um, fly out of here. I mean, I got a call this morning of somebody who wants to pick up 30 of them for a party tomorrow. And out of a small place, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's quite a bit. Um, I have a, a duck breast that's really, really popular. We serve it with um, a sweet potato puree that's not classic, like cinnamon and and molasses or maple web. We do it with uh, cumin and coriander. So it's got a really interesting flavor profile and uh, figgy piggy Brussels sprouts, which are roasted Brussels sprouts with uh, bacon and fresh fig. That one, I mean, I, I think that uh, last night I, I probably, I'd say three quarters of my diners went with the duck. Um, it's a relative- How many lamb chops do you go through in an evening? 10 billion? 10 billion, I, I, two to <laughs> 10 billion. <laughs> um, I buy uh, about 
uh, five to eight cases of lamb lollipops a week. And uh, I believe they're 10 pound cases. So we, we turn out the lamb lollipops. <laughs> They're they're so good. I can do, we do, and I can I'm only like, take I can only take partial credit. The, the marinade recipe is my mother's. She used to put it on pork chops when we were little, um, and everything in house is made from scratch um, except for our baguettes because I don't have convection in my ovens, which will be changing very soon. Um, it's a combination of prepared sauces. I mean, I buy like Worcestershire and um, ketchup and like a couple of other things that you wouldn't expect like a, a higher end restaurant to have just for that marinade because she, she threw it together and it was always so good. So it's a little bit of an homage to mother who also lives here in Richmond. Does she? Yes, in a pinch, she's actually hosted here. Like if, if she's been, she's run the floor for me. If, if I have somebody call out, she's, she's a huge supporter of the stables. <laughs> Thanks mom. Yeah, yeah exactly. And she knows exactly what's in the lamb lollipops, which, I mean, the last time we were there, we had two orders. We ordered one, thought that was going to be enough, and it was not. It was absolutely not enough. Uh, that raises a point I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned you learned how to cook in Boston, but where did you really learn how to cook? Like oh, it was, it was my mother for sure. She's the oldest of seven, um, so she did most of the cooking for her family growing up. And, um, like, as kids, it was a treat for us to have, like, chicken fingers or something like she, she cooked every night and she wasn't a recipe cook. She just threw stuff together. And I think that's really where it, where it all got started. Um, and then I started cooking in restaurants when I was about 13. So I just continued building on that throughout, not legally, but yeah. <laughs> me, me too. I grew up in one and believe me, we were child labor and that is the way it goes. Oh, well, I've had a beard since middle school, so nobody really asked questions. <laughs> so have I. I have to. <laughs> we can make that happen. If you can see me, there we go. It's a, it's a very nice beard. See, I can, do, I can work with it. You're a very handsome woman, Roby. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I've always wanted to hear. Um, let's talk about, is it restaurants the only job you've had? No, um, I actually, um, I did my undergraduate at the College of William and Mary, um, where I studied linguistics and anthropology. And I worked peripherally in the corporate world in my field for about a year out of college. Um, and I love studying it. I just didn't like doing it. Um, I came to the realization that like, I need to have a job that every day looks a little bit different. And kitchens always provided that for me. And I think you, you, the expectation when you're growing up is you go to college and then you get a quote, big boy job. Um, and that always drove me nuts working in restaurants when they're like, well, what do you want to do afterwards? And sometimes you just want to do that. <laughs> so I, I returned to, while I was working corporate, um, uh, I actually worked at a restaurant um, on weekends um, just for some fun money. Um, and the restaurant I worked at was this hop and gay bar in Boston. Um, it was, it's one of the oldest gay bars up there. It was called Fritz Lounge. I cooked brunches there and it was like 115 seats and there was one guy in the kitchen. So you learn really quickly how to turn out food. And honestly, that, that was probably the best job I've had in terms of, um, of learning quick execution of things and how to kind of, Mise and prep stuff so that you can you can do a great deal of volume in a, in a short period of time. And um, that side hustle while I was working corporate ended up being the restaurant that we um, did a full uh, uh, construction overhaul on and opened up a new space. So the first restaurant I worked at under the table in Boston ended up being my baby. You know, after after a few years, so it was very exciting. 
Yeah, can you do that to one of our gay bars here? Because man, they could use an overhaul. Um, any of them, you could have any it's of them on, and redo it's on it. My best. It's on my Good. list. Please. <laughs> um, speaking of overhauling restaurants, so we've got the stables. We've been there three and a half, and now you guys are. You just redid the Franklin Inn, or redid, overhauled the menu, I guess. Yeah, so I, I actually, that was one of my hangouts since I moved here. Um, I, I, I lived in the museum district when I first lived here, um, moved here. And that was the spot that I went for a beer at the end of the night. And that's where I met Steve. And he had taken over, I guess, about six years ago, five or six years ago. <clears throat> and when I moved here, I just, we started talking. And I, I did a little bit of consulting work for him when he first took over because he was new to restaurants. Um, but it was, I was never affiliated with the Franklin Inn, um, aside from helping them out in a pinch with product and all that. Um, but when the pandemic hit, because it's mostly bar, like a lot of places in Richmond, um, they just, they didn't have the takeout and delivery structure and um, the menu wasn't really conducive to dine-in and takeout. So I basically sat Steve down and said, look, I think it's time for me to take part in this other restaurant that's part of the group. Um, so I, I offered my services and kind of overhauling, um, not only just the menu, but we brought in some great new staff. I mean, amazing talent over there now. Um, and we, I, I it took me about three months to gut that place in terms of getting it cleaned and, and up to what I consider to be a, a, a safe and effective restaurant. So now it's second on the list. Yeah. Which I know I got to get that burger. I hear such good things. Um, I get that chicken sandwich girl, the Franklin Clucker. I'm, I'm not going to toot my own horn. It's not even my recipe. I have a chef over there, Ocean, who's amazing. Um, he came to me and I had a chicken sandwich. So I was getting it roll, ready to roll out. And he's like, I think I can do this better. And I love to hear that. And I said, well, then do it better. And he made this buttermilk brine fried chicken that is, in my opinion, probably the best chicken sandwich in Richmond. That signal that yeah. is like roby's bat signal whoop whoop yeah you'll see i mean I, i'm i'm there chicken sandwich <laughs> straight to the face i love them as, mu as much as i can have for, especially buttermilk brine it's the best way walk us through these last few months um as the virus has ha has taken hold and totally changed the way you guys do everything you do every single day of your life yeah, it's, and I know a lot of chefs have talked about this word that's becoming a bad taste in everyone's mouth, but it's been a, it's been a pivot. I mean, the stables, um, we have not stopped. I mean, the minute that everything shut down, I created a new menu for, uh, for uh, strictly takeout um, that was budget friendly because I knew everybody was, was sort of afraid uh, about what was going to happen with their own jobs and, you know, everything else going on in town. And once that settled for a bit and we were, we were losing money at, at quite a, quite a fast, fast rate, um, I pivoted again and I created a menu that was more sort of stylistically what we've always done here at the stables, but <clears throat> what could be put in plastic containers and sent out without majorly impacting the food. Um, so it's, it's been a lot. We've tried to do as many private events that are sort of takeout delivery style to kind of keep up. Um, it's a lot of work to maintain a restaurant normally um, so having to do that in unprecedented times has been certainly a challenge to say the least. But. Well, so is it a money thing that's been the hardest? Is it like a safety thing that's been the hardest? I know it's all hard, but like, what would you say for the folks that take it all for granted? Like what's like been the most difficult part of this? I think that one of the things that I, I sort of pride myself on in, in terms of like the, the restaurant atmosphere here at the stables is like I've, most of my staff is original staff or they've been here for ages. 
So there's a sense of like familiarity and, and, and sort of good cheer when you come to dine with us at the stables. And I think the hardest part is like with everything going on to be able to continue to produce great product while also policing people in all of these new restrictions and to, to have people rolling their eyes when you ask them to put masks on or, you know, to, to hit the sanitizer station before they come in. It's, it's sort of frustrating because you're taking on a whole nother job of having to police grownups when um, you're just doing your best to stay open and stay positive. So I think the whole thing is just kind of taking it all in because a lot of folks will come in with less joy and a lot of restaurants that I've dined at, like you can tell that the staff who have been cooking for, you know, 12 hours in a mask are not in the greatest of moods and you have to sometimes let that, let that go. Um, so it's difficult to, I guess, maintain all of that within the business and also try to control what people who come into the business um, as well. So, you know. And that leads me to my next question. Uh, earlier this year, Roby and I talked about who we wanted to interview in 2021. And, and the theme was positivity. We wanted to interview somebody who was going to be super positive. So we put um, a questionnaire out on social media and your name appeared more than once as a, as a potential guest. So how, what is your secret how do you stay positive how are where are you pulling that from i i just woke up like this wow <laughs> no I, I life's too short to to not approach every day you know at least with some semblance of positivity and i tell every person that i hire in in any place that i, I work at that we all have to be here every day um and for a lot of us we spend more time in the restaurant than we do in our own homes so let's make it like a fun place to be and, and, and a place you look forward to going to, you know, as opposed to, I've never been like a leave your problems at the door kind of guy, because certainly you have problems. But if you just, if you understand that your workplace for, especially in, in this industry is, is for a lot of folks kind of like more home, especially now when we can't see anybody else, we only get to see each other. Uh, it's, it's best to, to keep it positive. And I mentioned the chef that, that threw the plate and freaked out. I think that one thing that I learned working in militant kitchens like that is you can learn a lot about what chef kind of chef you don't want to be, <laughs> you know, just eat, sometimes more so than, than picking up techniques and stuff. And I said to myself, I'm, I'm never going to scream at somebody like that because I, I think I don't want to go back to this. This is, I mean, people make mistakes and you, you do your best to fix them. Now, if you make too many mistakes, I'm not going to throw a plate at you, but I'm certainly not going to smile and pat your back. <laughs> so. Constructive criticism. Exactly. Exactly. So how are you, taking care of your mental health. I know that's a big thing, obviously before the pandemic and now with that. So are there best practices to keep you positive? Are you a um, crazy yoga slash run with someone type of person? Do you drink a lot of Fernet Bronco, which I see is on your shirt? <laughs> which, by the way, I think that stuff tastes like recycled ass. I just want I you to it. know that. I, I always say when you ask what it tastes like, it's, it's, uh, it's like either Coca-Cola with no sugar in it at all or shoe polish and overbrew tea. I love it. Um, I, I do love my friend every now and again. Um, I'm, I'm very outdoorsy. I've got a, a little three and a half year old pepper. We, we go hiking um, around the river pretty often. Um, I also, I've never been a big fitness nut, but for the last year or so, I've been going to a fantastic personal training gym um, that's down the street from the restaurant, Tequila and Deadlifts. You should check it out. Um, so I go tequila? 
Tequila. <laughs> no, it's so neat. If people don't know about this, I'm going to plug for Kareth, who's also a dear friend. Um, it is an industry, largely industry focused gym. So a lot of the folks that are trainers there also work in the restaurant business. So, you know, for a lot of us that are cutting and, and doing things, you know, where our backs get offset and we have leg and feet pain and all that, a lot of the trainings are focused towards building things that help with um, restaurant weakness, which has been great for me. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm almost 6'4", so I naturally have back problems and working in kitchens certainly um, exacerbates that. But I've been working out there for about a year now and there it's all masked workouts and, and there's never more than probably three or four people in the gym at a time. But it's a nice escape just to spend like an hour of your day focusing on yourself, regardless of what that is, you know, whether it's reading a book, drinking too much Renette Bronco or, or working out. So we've got upcoming things, Scott. Like we're not done with the amount of restaurants that this poor individual is working with um, <laughs> or a very positive individual. And you have something super cool. I mean, it's kind of breaking news, really, um, with respect to this. It, you guys, are, I mean, it's near me, so I can walk. So that's amazing. But um, the market, what is it going to be called? Yeah, so it's going to be the Stables Market at Libby Mill. Um, and I'm excited about it. It was, this is honestly, this is Steve's baby for the most part. He came to me and said, Hey, look, like everybody, I mean, even restaurants you've seen through the pandemic have switched their program almost entirely to market style takeout and delivery. Um, and neither the Franklin Inn or the stables is really conducive to that storage is minimal and they're, they're all relatively small spaces. <clears throat> So Steve said, how would you feel about doing something market style? And we went back and forth about kind of what the setup would be. And the idea that we kind of settled on is like bringing Richmond, like true, like hard Richmond food to Libby Mill. And hopefully if it does well to other locations um, as well, the, the market um, is in a fabulous space, uh, corner unit at Libby Mill overlooking that, that nice little lake there. Um, we have an on-off license, so we'll be able to serve beer and wine. So you can sit down out in the patio and have a sandwich or a salad that's prepared there, like restaurant style. But most of the food is going to be, aside from your essentials, bottled water and cat food and bags of chips, um, we're going to be producing food from both locations um, to be sold at the market as well. So you can get a pint of my collard greens um, at the market. And additionally, um, we're doing a program that we're actually true breaking news uh, we're starting next week. We're going to start doing Market Mondays where we have um, trays of food that are either par-cooked or raw with instructions on how to do them at home so that you can have restaurant quality food that you make yourself. So the idea is it's kind of a fun way to make dinner for your family without having to go to the grocery store and let me do all the chopping and cutting and pre-cooking for you. So and, and those products nice. are as well. That's so fun. I was hoping somebody was going to do a meal to go situation like that. I think that that would be really, it's going to be really we're going to see a lot more of it because everybody's really looking for stuff like that. My hope is with these, with, once the market opens, because we live in the digital age and everybody Google stuff for online, uh, my hope is to record YouTube videos. Um, so it is like a cooking class where you can, okay, if you got the lamb, fast forward to 222 on your phone and I can talk you through it. And it's kind of a fun way to learn new things as well as um, kept in at home. So. That's awesome. I, I would love that. Yeah. A little YouTube video on how to make a bowl. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, but like maybe people don't know how to make a pasta sauce. Right. And that's, and that is a, a quick pasta sauce. Yeah, unscrew, you don't, unscrew jar, pour over pasta. You got it. A plus. His, warm, yes. Warm if, if needed. No, always warm. Ugh. 
cold pasta sauce that sounds terrible, especially if it's That's tomato. But over there, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, boy, R D. That's me. That's, that's, oh god, what a mess! All right, so where are you getting takeout right now if you're not eating your food? Oh God, I take out way more than I should. People always ask like, oh, what do you cook when you're not here? What do you make when you're not here? And honestly, usually I just make a phone call because I get tired of cooking here. And, and um, I, I try to hit as many spots as I can, but I definitely have like my little local favorites. Um, uh, Faluka opened recently in Carytown. The owner there, I, we've talked about this, Ruby. The owner there is an absolute prince and their pho is out of this world. Um, I also am a sucker for full key. They have this, they have this fatty duck that my, my girlfriend and I, uh, Elizabeth, we go there like once a week for this fatty duck. It is out of control good with um, little leek flowers. I'm a, I'm a sucker for, um, for really any kind of like Asian cuisine. That's like definitely a go-to for me. I think because my style here is so classic American or, or you know, uh, modern American. I, I always crave something that I don't produce on the regular. Um, lemon for Indian food. Ooh, it's so good. So this is a tough question. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you about the restaurant industry and how hard do you think we are going to be hit? Like, what do you think we can expect being that you're inside it and you know what's going on? Do you feel like we're going to see a ton more closings before Oh, all right, you're gonna make me take my optimist hat off for a second. <laughs> I am, but I'm hoping that you'll spin it positively, yeah, which is why I, I do think there's going to be more closures. Um, there's no secret. I mean, we're most weeks we, we aren't making money and we're booked almost every night. Um, with 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 restrictions where they're at at half capacity with limited takeout and delivery. Um, most of the restaurants in town are just losing money really slowly. And if you're doing well, you're losing money slowly. If you're not, then you're losing money really quickly. Um, I, I mean, I've spoken with a lot of chefs and, and restaurateurs who have gotten pardons from landlords for breaks in rent, who have extended their, you know, their, their due, due dates on bills from, from purveyors. And um, it, it's, some folks are just lucky to have people in their circle that allow them to do that. And then some are not. And the places that are not are going to continue closing because there's really, there's no structure. I mean, with PPP coming back around again, it's going to help extend things for a bit and allow us to continue with our employees. But these places are running bare bones and we hate to see a lot of our staff that are furloughed and making no money, but we don't have any to, to hold on. I mean, currently right now at the stables, it's me and my sous chef run everything. We do the takeout, we do the delivery, we do the dine-in. There's no other chefs on right now because we can't afford it. And we understand that. And we can't necessarily produce some of the more complicated things that we once did, which is a bummer. But, you know, we're doing what we have to to, to stay open. Um, back to your question. Yes, I do think there's going to be more closures. And if one more person in Richmond says, well, think of all the new places that are going to open, I'm going to smack somebody across the face because it has to be working so hard and for people to not understand that um it's it's going to majorly change the food culture in richmond and my my biggest fear for such a charming restaurant city and honestly the restaurant scene here is what brought me to richmond largely aside from having my family around is that a lot of these charming institutions that have closed over the course of the pandemic are going to get snatched up by chain restaurants and the last thing that i want for such a burgeoning restaurant culture is for it to be changed changed in such a major way because of this um 
there's an end in sight. And I think that we'll put the positivity hat back on. Um, it's my understanding from uh, what we've heard through the local news. And I have some regulars who are affiliates of the CDC. Um, we're looking at uh, end of January, beginning of February for uh, vaccines to start coming to restaurant workers. And I can't speak for everybody, but I, I could not be more excited um, just to get the ball rolling to make sure that we're continuing to be as safe as we can so that we can keep doing what we're doing. And my hope is that in conjunction with uh, these, these vaccine rollouts, we can start seeing some lifting of restrictions, at least to the degree that, you know, we are able to serve more people in a, in a more uh, safe and, and reasonable fashion. Well, I love our restaurant city, obviously, and I don't want any new places to open. I want you guys all to stay open. Yeah. So if, with that being said, if I'm ordering something from the stables to go because I'm not eating in right now and it's not 42 orders of lamb chopped and it's not the fatty duck, what am I ordering? Oof, girl, anything. <laughs> <laughs> or everything. <laughs> You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Evan Campbell, Scott Wise, and Roby. Roby, I had an experience this week. Our good friend Brittany Anderson has a new business venture. Um, obviously, she opened up Black Lodge, where Chairlift used to be. She and James Kohler, two of our former guests, go back and listen to those podcasts in the Wayback Machine. But her new venture is Cave Culture with a gentleman named Josh Franklin, who I was not aware of, but I'm sure you have a million stories about. Every a Cobra burger. Yes. Every other week, Josh and Brittany are offering uh, for sale a cheese tasting experience in yes. which in which you go to Black Lodge, pick up, I think it's four or five different cheeses and other accoutrement, and then you bring it home on Thursday nights and dial into a Zoom where Josh and Brittany talk about cheese. Everybody on the Zoom eats cheese. There's wine involved. Does we the did wine it. Come with the cheese? Do they pair them? Yeah, so it costs extra. Um, so I did not opt for the actual pairing. I went for the <laughs> what was in Scott's wine tower pairing, which worked perfectly fine for me. So the theme this past week was goat uh, cheeses. So four or five different goat cheeses. And they explained each one, where they came from, why you're tasting what you're tasting. It was a lot of conversation. And then there's three more in this How season. Many people did this class with you, Scott? Yeah. Um, well, in my house, it was my children, my mother, and I. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice family bonding experience. We what look did forward your mother to it. Think this is important. What did your mom think? She loved it. She loved it. Um, actually, Brittany made uh, a bread with coffee bean and dates, I think, that came in the box as something to spread the goat cheese on. And mom loved it, took the bread home with her and had it for breakfast this morning, along with some of the leftover cheese we had. Um, so how, how many, I'm not sure exactly how many folks uh, were signed in because it's a Zoom, so it's kind of hard to tell how many boxes were there. We were sitting kind of far away, but um, enough that there was like a, I think it was a good hour of conversation and questions and, and um it was great. It was really great. So I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, and I encourage anyone who likes cheese to check out Cave Culture. Um, they're doing, I think, cow, cow milk is, or sorry, cow milk based cheeses is the next one. And then sheep is down the line. And 
I had too much wine. I forget what the fourth one is. I think maybe Buffalo. Is that possible? Yeah. Buffalo. Do Buffaloes have milk? They do make great mozzarella. What have you been eating? Oh gosh. Well, I went to Black Lodge. So there's that. Did you get the chicken sandwich? Doggone right I did. Um, and that is blow your mind good. Uh, what else have I did? Uh, I've learned, you know what? I got a question for our listeners. Do you like clam pizza? Well, there's lots of places that you can get a clam pie around here. It's by and large a northern thing, clam pie, white clam pie is very much. <laughs> Connecticut, New Jersey, that whole thing. And um, I don't know. I feel like maybe... I, I mean, I've had the Connecticut clam pie and thought it was great, but maybe I just am not aware of what it should taste like. So I'd like to know where our listeners' favorite clam pie in Richmond is. Can you put that on your gram so folks can vote for it? I will do it. Speaking of your gram, you influenced me this week. Oh, great. If you guys don't, didn't know, Roby's an influencer. Yeah, content and one, creator. <laughs> and, one of, and one of the things she talked about was uh, a, de- a crazy good deal going on at Short Pump Mall. Short Pump Town Center, excuse me, where if you spend $50 at a restaurant there, they give you $20 back. So as, as the way you put it, I think these are your words, they're paying you to eat leisure, basically. Yeah, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I took you up on that, and I took the, the fine folks at Short Pump Mall up on that, and I ordered $51 worth of food from Sunny over at Leisure. And I tend to overdo it over there. Like, it's it's... It's like breakfast. It's like dinner that night and then lunch the next day. And it's the most amazing food. That was Roby spritzing her dog, by the way. Sorry. Um, it's the most amazing food. We all know this. This is not a surprise to anybody. But whew, I think I went too hot on some of the uh, on some of the stuff. And yeah. Spicy too. I'm getting I'm getting old, I guess, is the problem. That's what it is. It's not that it was too hot. It's just you're too old. You I don't think think that's not possible yeah just think about this if you order a hundred dollars of food from anywhere in shore pump there's a load of places the boathouse um casa del barco leisure there's a really great gelato place bet you didn't know that um they give you 40 bucks which is a new sweater what a deal i think it goes through the month of february right so it's till february 28th and if you watch another instagram thing of Roby's, i might have a fun giveaway in connection. Tell the folks where they can find you on Instagram. Oh, God, you're getting so good at this, Scott. Um, at Call Me Roby, you can find me. You can find Scott at Scott underscore wise or the both of us at Eat It Virginia. This episode of Eat It Virginia? Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia? <laughs> No! Oh, God, no.